1: Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com
2: Welcome to the Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round discipline decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests, subject matter experts, so that you can tune in, get what you need to get, and continue on your journey. We are blessed to call ourselves Elk Hunters Season 6. Here we go. Hey, man, y'all still listen to this podcast? I appreciate that. There's a lot of options, uh, and it's growing. But with you tuning into Elk Shape, that tells me something. Like, hey, this individual is looking to hear us for the first time. Hey, we're going to deliver. We're going to always bring some motivation, some heat, some energy, and some honesty. Uh, today, we're sitting down with a really good friend, Nick Fisher from AE. We've been crushing YouTube together for the last three days straight. Got to watch him shoot a turkey his first Merriam's in Washington state with my daughter there. And this guy knows more about archery than I do by a lot. And we talk about fitness, how we got his testosterone levels proper, how he's fought off the middle age decline. He is also the president, CEO, whatever you want to call it of AAE archery. And it's just a really cool, longer form in person, conversation that we are going to deliver to you guys. I hope you like all that you'll get out of this, especially the last five minutes of the podcast. Nick's an impressive dude and I appreciate his friendship and I appreciate you guys. Without further ado, Nick Fisher, AAE. This is the Shape Podcast. Elk Shade Podcast with Nick Fisher from AAE, my good buddy. Flew up to Spokane to hang out with me for the last three days. I am trying to wear him out. I think I'm close.
3: So How are you, Nick? I'm good. Wore out, yeah. Riding on a little high from the last hour or two, so that's helping out. Uh, but yeah, man, it's been a three couple three days. Mm,
2: I've enjoyed every second. Now, you've been running at my pace. It's pretty fast-paced, but... There's some excitement. The last hour, I'd say maybe an hour ago, you just shot your first Merriam turkey with a bow. Yep. Didn't go twenty.
3: <laughs> Didn't go ten. That was a sweet <laughs> shot, man. What'd you hit it with? Uh, the new Evolution Outdoors turkey record.
2: So was that like just launched?
3: Yeah, I think he just launched it three days ago. So you might be one of the first to use it. Uh, definitely beyond some prototyping that yet yeah, that has been done. Yeah.
2: Uh huh. Yeah. So certainly. what's the? It's, so it's basically run off the Evolution. Feral, mm-hmm. same like cut on contact blades, yep. and then you have these giant opening. What yep. what's the premise behind that? Just
3: so it's a three inch wide. Uh, so it's make it's built off the Jekyll. So you still got your uh, three quarter inch cut on the front, but then it, yeah, it's a three inch cut diameter, um, and it's it the blades only open to I think eighty five degrees total, mm-hmm. maybe a little less eighty degrees, and uh, the premise is to dump all the energy into the turkey, you know that that that's the entire design intent and put a giant hole in him. and you know you saw that turkey he flipped over on his head I he did a backflip
2: didn't land on his feet he landed on his head and yeah. then i couldn't believe he got up and stumbled a couple yards and fell over yeah and then i didn't have my bow but this other tom jumped on him and Had his way.
3: Yeah, yeah, he was slightly confused, but he was certainly taking advantage. (laughs) Yeah, that
2: was awesome. But my daughter did get to see the whole thing go down. That's both our favorite part. Um, Absolutely, Avery's eight, and uh, that's her second turkey she's seen, first bow kill she's ever seen. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. She's not going to forget that. No. And uh, the guy that uh, led us onto his property was so cool. We're going to hook him up. I'm going to bring him some coffee. I'll send him some swag. You bring me some swag. I'll send it to him. And. It's cool to knock on doors and just get permission. Um, private property is so hard to come by now. Absolutely. So that was a win-win tonight. And that was like just kind of a nightcap. Like that's not even what we did today.
3: No, that was a let's let's just go. There's 20 minutes of light left. Let's go drive around.
2: Yeah, we got a couple spots to go check. And, uh, you know... Guys, if you're gonna knock on doors, maybe have your eight year old daughter with you. It really does help.
3: Yeah, I, that didn't happen. That whole that entire situation happened because Avery it.
2: And let's be honest, that's probably gonna be another tar- turkey spot of mine, real close to my other one. So it's kind of nice to be able to have some close spots. I still like going out, and no, I don't. I like bear hunting. <laughs> I I'm, I can't say I love turkey hunting, but I love eating them. They're mm. good eaters. So we'll we're gonna go process that turkey here in a second. We just want to jump on, guys, and kind of take you through. Kind of what we've done the last three days, and you'll be able to see a lot of it on YouTube, obviously, which is great. But I wanted to do a recording for folks as like, you know, I like the spoken word where we can really break down step by step. And if someone's listening, they can maybe learn something, rewind, play it back, and really take in what you're offering when it comes to tuning. Mm -hmm. I think that's the number one thing. So we started with the end. Let's go to the beginning. You, You landed on... Was that Thursday or
3: no? Uh, no, it was actually Saturday. Neither one of us knows what the is. I don't know the, what day of the week yeah, is ever. I think it's Monday, so I'm not sure.
2: By that. So we came in on a Saturday afternoon, and I bet you were in my driveway for about two minutes and I would put a camera on you right away. I'm like, let's go.
3: Camera was in and bows were out and arrows were being sent within five minutes of being here.
2: Yeah. And that's how you yeah, you gotta check your tune right off right off the plane. And this is kind of right, this just dives into what We've been filming the last three days. We've been making arguably three to five YouTube videos, horizontal, long form, educational, Mm -hmm. not a ton of entertainment, but regardless, I wanted to put out pieces that would like withstand the test of time and break down principles of tuning that don't go out of style. And your way is way different than I've ever learned. So I want to break that down. And I guess the best segue is, you bust out a bear shaft, and you're like, I want to make sure my bow's on. So you walk out to, I don't know, how many yards did you walk out? Twenty. To? And you're like, I'm gonna shoot a bear shaft. And I'm thinking, what? Like, I wouldn't have done that. I would have grabbed an arrow and just, you have a broadhead or turkey broadhead and just shot at twenty and see if I'm on into a, you know, a broadhead target. Not you, man. Tell us what's going on there.
3: Well, yeah, you know, I I've been super blessed, particularly in the last ten, twelve years, to spend a lot of time with the best target archers in the world, with Jesse Broadwater. The um, Greg Poole's a phenomenal uh, bow tuner. Um, Jesse Shane Wills, I think Kendall Woody's national champion. There's a whole crew of guys that comes back with that entire group of people that I've been blessed to spend a lot of time with over the last 10, 12 years and just watching their processes and learning and listening. And they've certainly helped me because I was like most guys and had a bow I thought was tuned and it was not so uh yeah and my big thing is especially in the last year has been to share this knowledge with the hunting community because to me it's even more important that the hunting community i mean it it's not more important than the target archery world but for the hunting community it's super important because we're never in perfect positions every shot we take in the field is up down at an angle you're on one knee you're in that crazy situation where your belly crawled in you roll over on your back and you draw the bow and sit up You know, we're never in any position that's like standing in your yard, executing perfect shots. So you want a bow that is ultimately forgiving. And that comes down to building a tune that ensures the arrows coming out in the best possible manner and the most forgiving. So, um, going through the whole process, you know, a lot of that has to do with just tuning with a bear shaft because tuning with a bear shaft ensures that the bear shaft, no help, no veins, veins are there to cover up mistakes. Um, This ensures that that arrow is coming out of the bow as perfectly straight as possible. And, um, you know, the people who watch the video, they'll actually see I'm not going for an absolutely perfect arrow. You had a a dead straight arrow today um, coming out of the bow. It was an inch left. And, again, hanging out with all these guys, I know a lot of little tricks that kind of shortcuts some of the some of the final tuning things that we see when we do line tuning and because you'll go through all the processes of lining tuning and you' are making these micro adjustments to your rest and then we come back and we the whole point from that is to then say okay where is my bear shaft where does it impact when I break clean shots and that is my reference point I know when I get to camp when I get to the tournament you're just at home and the, you haven't shot the bow in two weeks and all of a sudden it doesn't feel right grab your bear shaft go shoot, go shoot it and see where the impact point is it should with today's technology quality strings quality you know rest cams limbs everything that goes into the bows today are so much more advanced Uh, albeit tunes will change you know where it needs to be so you know if something bad happens tsa occurs you're on a backcountry hunting oh your bow falls off a horse you slide down a mountain something like that occurs And you're like, man, is my bow okay? I don't know if it's going to shoot okay. Cool, you could shoot an arrow with veins on it, but you don't know if it's actually coming out dead straight because those veins are going to recover it. And then if you do shoot a shot that's torqued funny, something weird, and you aggravate how poorly the tune is, you can wound an animal. So knowing where that bear shaft impact is, that's your your key ingredient to just take one minute to go, yes, my bow's good. Let's go.
2: Yeah, my takeaways after meeting and hanging out with you for three full days of filming and just soaking in your knowledge. Dan will have a bear shaft in his setup always. Yeah. When I go to elk camp, I will shoot a bear shaft over a broadhead. My bear shaft will match my other arrows. I will have tape on the back where the veins go so that the arrow weighs within a grain of my actual hunting setup. And I will test that. I've never done that before. I'm I do what most people do. I set a bow up. I try to keep it to spec, thirteen sixteenths off the riser, right down the just shooting bullets. And then um, once I shoot it through paper with veins on it, and I have a bullet hole, I'm like, oh sweet, that's perfect. Let's go start working our sight tape. Let's go double check our second axis. Let's go shoot in the third axis. Um, you're a long ways Today we've built three bows in three days. Every bow was a long ways off, even though it would have given us a perfect paper tune. Absolutely. With veins on it. Yeah. That's my takeaway. And good is not good enough in archery no. when a human's involved, you know? So that's, that's my biggest takeaway. So I'm going to try to bring all that to you guys in this episode, but 1st we shot, and I had a deal with you. I was like, all right, Nick, you compete at archery, kind of a semi-pro. You've won some things. Like, you're competing at Reading in a week and a half. If you make me look silly on camera, I'm, I'm going to kill you in the gym. You didn't make me look silly, but I definitely understand you're on another level, which is cool to shoot with people better than you. And so our first workout together, we got after it, man. What would you think?
3: I knew, obviously, coming into this following you you're an absolute beast and I lift six days a week I have for five years but I am the slow and heavy guy everything's paced I'm just I guess for lack of a better term I'm a power lifter per se um you know slow and heavy um and I I certainly have deload days and that sorts of things and I have high rep days but and you have a
2: coach who writes programming for you Zach Bailiff with shout out to Zach
3: yep he writes programming for me and uh it's done me well. I'm, I'm very strong, but I know my muscular endurance is poor. So I knew coming into this, that it was going to be a great experience for me to get pushed at a level that, and I'm watching Dan guys, Dan was nice to me. I'm pretty certain he ran at about 50% pace just so I was maybe in the middle of the workout with him. Um, But no, it, It was everything I expected and more, and it was all the pain I expected.
2: You did. Awesome. You definitely have a lot of strength. Like You're strong pound for pound, and you're sturdy. You've built up your soft tissue, your connective tissue, your muscle density. Uh, You're on TRT. TRT. I want to talk about that, too, because I think that's something everybody should consider when that road, kind of when that path crosses them. Um, But we're blurring. The style that I like training is I definitely— Like pursuing strength. If I don't, it goes away fast. So strength training is super important to me. And and that can be for power. That can be high rep muscle endurance, stamina, like you were talking about. But I really like blurring the distinction between, okay, we're lifting weights. Okay. Now we're doing cardio. And if you notice, I don't do a lot of isolation. Like we did no bicep curls while you were here. I like big compound movements that hits everything and i don't like to be in the gym that long i think some people think i'm in the gym all day i bet both of our workouts we've done so far less than an hour like in and
3: out and out yeah i think both of them the first day i think we actually went just over an hour okay um and i think the second one we were right at an hour maybe a shade less yeah and the second one the intensity was even higher but you know we had we had a little more conditioning in the first one that's i think stretched the time out a little longer as well
2: I like that you um, monitor your heart rate while you're training. A lot of people don't do that. You, what watch are you using
3: for that? Uh, this is a Garmin Vivoactive 4. Um, you know, when I was shopping watches, and I don't get deals from Garmin or nothing. I'm just a usual guy when it comes to that. So, um, looking at the Phoenix and all the cool watches that are out there. But, man, I just I didn't see the value for me personally in owning a $600 watch that had two better features than this watch does
2: and then it gets to the point where there's too many features and you don't know how to use the damn thing like this watch is the epics it does so much stuff that i don't care about so i like the instinct 2 for the money Mm -hmm. it's solar battery lasts a long time you can get a heart rate monitor with it that garmin makes or you can do what i do i bought a polar strap for my chest you're wondering what that is and then um i'll just want to break down a little bit of what we did today we did strength training in a circuit Probably five different movements. Took us maybe 15 minutes to bang it out. And it was all just hypertrophy. When I say hypertrophy, we're just that, that 10 to 12 rep range. A lot of tension, time under tension, muscle just kind of going to failure. RPE, eight, nine, 10 on some stuff. And then we did two conditioning pieces. The first one was real nasty. And I got the data here. Um, so. The first one, I was in zone five, which is the highest zone, which is for my age, I'm almost 42, is I was above 164 beats per minute for four out of the 10 minutes. You know, that was pretty nasty. And then I was in zone four, which is between 146 and 164 beats per minute for the majority of the time. So that was a zone four, zone five, just 10 minute. That was intensity. That was a lot of work and a little bit amount of time.
3: Yeah. So I was, uh. Now, again, as many of you guys will see through much of the video, um, my muscular endurance, because it comes when you build power lifting, um, isn't on Dan's level, so he was getting more done faster. But I was in zone 3, 127 to 145 for 20 minutes, zone 4 for 146 to 163 at 652. I only broke into zone 5 for 18 seconds. Yeah,
2: um, I so when I hit zone 5 that's usually what it usually is. I whatever the combination of that 10-minute piece had me in the nasty
3: nasty zone. The 10-minute piece is the part that really
2: that and then that I made you do one more down. piece after that and that I'd separated them out so I could see the the graphs and geek out and if people are bored by this I'm sorry. We're gonna, I, I appreciate it. I was in so that 15-minute second conditioning piece, I was in zone 4. So it's a pretty high heart rate, 146 to 164 for me for eight of the 15 minutes. And then the most of the other time I was in zone three. And we were doing dumbbell snatches, high reps, like 30, wall ball shots right into it, 30. And then you were doing max cows on the ski erg. I was doing wall walks. Um, but I'll just name off some of the movements we did today, guys, just because it's I like that constantly varied, different stimuluses. We were doing really basic stuff: assault bike, which is the worst fan bike on planet Earth. It, you've been on those before, so yeah, you knew what times. was coming. Yep. Dumbbell deadlifts from the ground, um, D balls, ground to over shoulder. I like D balls. Yeah, that was pretty functional. Time
3: I've done those, but super functional. They yeah. get your
2: heart rate way jacked, way up, way jacked. And then we did box step overs. I wanted to had like a little hunting component to it. Um, the strength training was straight up like pushing and pulling. You know. Yeah. We did the incline dumbbell bench, but we added bands. We added bands. I love the tension.
3: And, you know, I've I've never added bands to dumbbell incline, and we weren't even pushing. We, 30s, 30s, bro. 30s. It doesn't boy, matter. You throw the bands on, and then the really interesting part to me about it, what actually I think the part that started wearing out fast on me was my forearms, because the bands are on the outside of the dumbbells, and starting to get to the top of the range of the motion, it's pulling those dumbbells hard. So you're trying to not have them pop out of your hands. You're gripping hard. And my forearms were getting after it. Oh, man. Hanging on to it. Our first
2: day together, I wanted to get you to do some barbell complex. I call it barbell cardio. Mm-hmm. So we're doing some combination of power clean, squat clean, front squat, jerks, high reps, you know, like 30 yeah. seconds worth of barbell work, then put it down and rest for 30 seconds, seven rounds. Yeah. I don't have the stats in front of you, but it's a high heart rate, but you're doing a compound movement. It's eliciting a ton of power, a lot of force. We did that. And then we kind of went into more of like a traditional bodybuilding vibe. Mm -hmm. We did some bodybuilding, hypertrophy. We got some rest. It was nice. And then I, I really liked what we did for posterior chain. And when I say posterior chain, I'm talking elk hunting muscles. This is the Elk Shape Podcast. The reverse hyper. That was your first time on that guy. That's to me. That is like the best way to develop your hamstrings and butt, and really not hurt your lower back. In fact, improve the space between your vertebrae. That was your first time on that machine. What would you think?
3: Absolutely. You know, I, awkward at first. Um, for me, it was hard to keep my legs straight through it. They naturally wanted to curl. It's a position I do a lot of hamstring curls. Yeah. So it's a position that my body just goes, oh, we, we're we got to curl this. Um, so. That was the awkward part of it, but I did. I, I've got a lot, some lower back damage, um, certainly around my pelvis area and, and the thoracic area down there. So, um,
2: and that you told me that, and that's why I really wanted to get you at yeah. least reps on that machine. Yeah. I, I find it that we're doing it two or three times a week.
3: And I really like the feel that that provided. Yeah. Yep. That was really, really solid. And what, you know, one of those things, getting into the second, third round of it. You, comfortable no problem you
2: nailed it and we got good video of you just getting after and then we did some walking lunges and some ghd hip back extensions Oh again all legs man I, mm-hmm. I train legs almost every day and my theory is if i do a couple of movements every day for five six days a week my volume can still be high i'm not wrecked and sore i don't get sore as much as if we just did legs and we did hack squat leg press leg extension uh hamstring curls lunges and we just do legs for an hour and then you can't walk the rest of the week. I don't want I want to train every day, mm-hmm. you know, within reason. And if I'm feeling beat up, I love the option of rucking. And uh, we were able to ruck. and actually our conditioning piece that day was rowing and running and front squats at a lightweight, but just again, the intensity was ratcheted up yeah. and you did great. And the breathing, you know, the oxygen, I don't let you catch your breath. I feel like if we can just knock out, an hour and a half workout in forty five minutes. I'm not including warm-up. I just feel like we got more done, more accomplished and more time to do what we came here to do, which is make badass archery content.
3: No, and we absolutely did, man. I mean we we absolutely crushed. I mean today today's workout, I again I think we were sub one hour and I was forty minutes under under duress, under tension. I mean normally as a power lifter I'm counting under tension, but some of it's cardio but Basically, I, if I paused, my watch stopped. But otherwise, when the movement goes, it senses and it keeps rolling. And 40 minutes in th- sub one hour yep. no total time. That is extreme.
2: And you got to see how I eat. I basically ate like I normally would. I just made double. Mm-hmm. So our first meal together was, ten, oh, was backstrap. Backstrap. Strape, and a ton of, of it. Yeah. And uh, we had veggies. And a little bit of rice. Maybe yep. not even not even a cup each of rice. But yeah. probably fifteen ounces of meat. Like a ton. Like I cavemen. We, yeah. Yeah.
3: We I think we both ate over a pound.
2: Yeah. And that's pretty typical for me in the evening is to have a big steak based dinner. I feel like elk meat is performance enhancing. Without a doubt. Um, for brec- for breakfast, uh first day I made you a smoothie, I put spinach in it, even though you're allergic to spinach, sorry about that. Hey.
3: I didn't get sick. I've been I've been seeing a naturopath for the last year and change, and uh, she's had me on a a natural uh, allergy treatment plan, taking some drops, and uh, obviously it's working because I had spinach again for dinner. And by now I would have already known that.
2: So. Yeah, and I am a world class smoothie maker because I've been making them forever. I do, I have a formula. It usually hits about forty grams of protein. It's frozen blueberries, frozen spinach, ice. Uh, two tablespoons of peanut butter, either some sort of like soy milk that's unsweetened or regular milk. Um, and for those that are lactose intolerant, you just use the almond milk. And it's actually really delicious. And I like having that kind of for breakfast. I don't eat right away. I like to wait a couple hours, drink a couple cups of coffee. Lunch, we had elk steak and salad. Dinner, we had two double burgers. That was a pretty good day of eating,
3: man. That was a solid day of eating.
2: And this morning, we had eggs and uh, elk steak. In a wrap, uh, lunch was another one of those bomb smoothies, and dinner was elk spaghetti. I elk is on the menu. I try to tell people, look, I can eat two-plus elk a year. It's what we do. Yeah. Don't be a hater. It's on the menu.
3: Yeah, and I don't know who in the world could ever complain about elk meat. It, I've been fortunate enough to eat a lot of meat and uh, a lot of different flavors, and elk is still my favorite. You know, Well. Yeah. There's nothing that quite compares to it. There's maybe when you get into the steaks, and I mean, albeit sometimes it's cool to you want to dive in. I'm not really a ribeye guy. I like leaner meats unless I'm on keto, then the body craves it. But it's sometimes nice to have a good grass fed New York strip, no doubt. Something something like that. Coos deer is one of my absolute favorite meats. I've never had it. Oh, it's surprisingly good. Mm. Um, Moose, moose.
2: I've had moose. It's sweet. I would rank moose higher than elk, but I've only had one moose tag in my life
3: okay yeah i I really like it um the the moose I've had uh came out of b c in twenty sixteen tripped me and my dad went on and uh we got one moose out of it, split the meat um over over seven hundred pounds of meat off of it and uh yeah, man, that was delicious but surprisingly sweet the weird thing i don't know if you noticed it with moose, but it's like a sponge you have to marinate the steaks or they are dry yeah that's, that's that was interesting
2: we use those aminos for our cooking and uh those really help all wild game out yeah. um yeah cooking wild game it is a it is an honor hey guys this podcast is brought to you by hard work that's right I can't do it for you. Only you can do it for you. And that's what we are selling. I hope you're buying. We're also brought to you by Matthews Archery, Vortex Optics, Onyx Hunt, Numa Outdoors, Kufaru International, Magview, Wilderness Athlete, Buck Knives, USA, Crispy Hunting, Stealth Cam, Marsupial, Baku E-Bikes, Black Ovis. And we have some discount codes to help you save some loot. Eurooptic.com. For anything for Vortex, use the discount code elk 10 Save ten percent off if you're looking for swag. Go to Vortex Wear, enter the discount code ElkShape and save twenty percent. Elite membership with OnX, enter the discount code ElkShape twenty percent off. Numa Outdoors twenty percent off. The code is ElkShape twenty. For Kufaru, it's ElkShape fifteen. Exclusions are shelters. MadView discount code ElkShape ten percent off. Wilderness Athlete, 20% off. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE23. For Stealth Cam non-sale, discount code ELKSHAPE20 will get you 20% off. And for Cellular, use the discount code ELKSHAPE10 to take 10% off. If you're in the market for a backhoe e-bike, discount code ELKSHAPE will take $300 off. And where I shop for all my gear is BlackObus.com. Enter the discount code ELKSHAPE for 10% off. Sheep feet, the discount code is ELKSHAPE for 10% off. Fatty meat sticks, discount code ELKHUNTER. For ten percent off, Alien Holsters discount code ElkShape ten for ten percent off. Crossover Symmetry discount code ElkShape for twenty percent off, and Canvas Cutter. Finally, discount code ElkShape will take ten percent off. Back to the show. Sleep, sleep super important to me. I am not. I can run on five, six hours, and I can do that all week. Um, but my performance goes down in the gym, straight up. Uh, So I try to be asleep by 10 every night, and then I actually struggle to stay in bed. I try to, like, force myself to sleep to 6. The f- the The last hour from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. is kind of like on and off, but I'm just trying to get as close to 7 to 8 hours every night. Do you have a number that you, like, try to hit?
3: Seven, yeah. I'm, I don't even know if I'm capable of actually getting 8 hours of sleep anymore. Even as whooped as you've had me, I'm still – I'm a ten thirty to five thirty guy. I love it. Mornings are where it's at, man. Morning. I love my mornings, man. Um, Yeah, and certainly as I've gotten older, the once upon a time I could really go to sleep at any time, and I can still take an eleven minute power nap when necessary. Um, Can't say that I don't enjoy those, but yeah, I'm I'm fortunate. My, you know, just turned forty a couple months ago, and for the most part, still sleep pretty good. I the problem with my 11 minute power naps now is I like to fall asleep at 1030 and wake up at 1045 and my body says, Oh, we've, we're ready to go. So that it, that's a rough one.
2: Yeah. Well, I do think we would be doing a disservice if we didn't kind of give some background on where you are, how you got there as the current owner, probably president, CEO, whatever you want to call it. You're the dude who owns AAE mm-hmm. and AAE to me is synonymous with veins first and foremost, Knox stabilizers, and rest. And there's a lot more you guys do as well, whether you can talk about it or not. Oh, you man. guys are big time in the hunting industry and in the archery industry as a whole. And I would say nine out of 10 people have or do use your products. Yep. It's pretty incredible.
3: It, it is. It is super cool, you know. Um, I guess just the the quick backstory. Um, A originally started as Plastifletch, the original production level plastic vein. There can be some disagreements out there over who actually created the first plastic vein, but one thing that can't be disagreed upon Plastifletch was the first vein sold at a production level. Um, Jewel and Max Hamilton created it in 1958 and uh, in Mormon Lake, Arizona, out of their little 16 foot camp trailer. That they were living in and my grandpa helped them helped them launch it Tom Fisher senior and uh, you know for 15 years Max and Jewel basically they, they started off cutting them out with scissors and out of a uh, cellulose extrusion and then they moved they finally were able to afford a small little punch press and still in their little camp trailer you imagine a 16-foot camp trailer kitchen you know you got a bed in there anyways probably some sort of bathroom maybe if you're a little more permanent you got an exterior bathroom somewhere but and then a punch press in your little trailer so yeah in 1971 my grandpa and his uh my grandma and grandpa tom and millie fisher and uh their their partners liz and charlie sandlin um bought max and jewel out max and jewel were already well into their 70s by that point and really deserved to retire so uh AAE was born then, they rebranded it and unfortunately within two years Charlie passed away of cancer. Um nobody even knew he had cancer and uh yeah, went in to get a, a checkup on on a mole and um didn't make it two days. So unfortunately, um that very sad story, but so my grandparents bought him out and um they had already moved the business to Apache Junction and along with the little trailer and moved it into a bigger trailer and from there it just evolved you know my my dad was the first employee as you would term it he was 10 years old in 1971 and so he was packing veins into the little boxes i um, they've been showing up more and more around the world which is cool and a lot of people send them to us for memorabilia and we we share them here and there but just little cardboard boxes and it was a hard vein hard hard vein and uh And then it just evolved. In the late 70s, we got into injection molding, um, A, to make knocks, And uh, then very quickly, they realized uh, that, you know, injection molding could really branch the business off and provide more income. So they got into injection molding for um, Night Vision's company that does night vision systems that we still make the same components for to this day. And then, man, it just took off from there. We started making bat caps. Of course, I'm still four or five years old at this point. They start making all the Easton bat caps for the aluminum Easton baseball bats, got in business with Easton. Um, we've made the vast majority of Easton's knocks since the early 80s. Of course, then uh, got in, still doing lots of plastic veins, production level veins, you know. And it just evolved from there. We got into all sorts of different markets. Um, there isn't hardly... a. a a market we don't touch somewhere to these days. whether it's off-road, medical, um, aerospace, we make housing components, pool components. Um, you know, the molding world supplements our love for archery. Uh, we've been fortunate, and um, we've had a great team in the last 10, 12 years that have really taught us how to market better. Um, we really fell behind on the marketing side in the late 90s, early 2000s. But buying good, some good brands, definitely. Um, local small companies that were people were ready to retire. We didn't have Mm -hmm. to displace employees. That's the best. Yeah. And so that's helped us add to the product line, you know, and then with a great team of people who've really helped us to market over the years. uh, Now archery, even as big as we've gotten, archery's still really a powerhouse for us now, you know, I'm 50 stays 50% of the business for a long time. It it had gotten down to where it was 25% of the business. Yeah. Um, But you know, Teaming up with great people like you that help share our brand out there and provide honest, real feedback because we take a lot of pride in what we make. So if there's something wrong, I mean, you know, it's like our, the prophecy that we spent so much time on this weekend. It started life as the DOA. I created that in 2010. It's been my baby. And the very first ones failed. I had already sold a thousand of them and I took a dozen or so to my first IBO worlds I ever went to. And Big Greg Pool it's where I learned it's always good to have somebody who's way too big and break stuff. Cause he proceeded to break the 10 or 12 I had left on my table. And it was a simple, simple engineering change, but things you didn't know. I was the engineer. I just know you don't, don't do that to it. You know, it was as simple as cocking the rest and not putting a stop in it. So he'd just keep going till it broke. Oh no. <laughs> but it, yeah, you know, and that actually gave the DOA a horrible name, unfortunately. Um, But then eventually I was able to figure out how to redesign it to work in the Pro Series frame. The Prophecy was born. Um, We're actually on our 10th revision of modifications to the internals now when the Prophecy QD launches. And actually all Prophecies have those changes in them now. Um, They made such improvements in them that we we had actually improved the rest so much it had gotten too fast and we didn't even know. Um, Hadn't shot any high-speed video of it in a little while. I was just trying to give the the rest more life cycles. Um, We have a cycle test. Testing machine, we compare it to all the other fallaways on the market, and you know, there's really nothing out there that survives more than 75,000 shots. Uh, prior to this last revision, the prophecy would see about 150,000, which really is more shots than a lot of people are going to shoot. Um, now it sees over 400,000. So, and a lot of people go, Oh, what about consumables? Well, you know what? I want whoever you buy a prophecy, you put it on your bow. The next time you go to buy a, a a bow, I want you to go, that rest never fails. I want another one.
2: Yep. Yep. Wow, that's that's powerful. And there's some big names that shoot the prophecy, man. Mm-hmm. You got some big names that really lean on it. Um, Homeboy Cam.
3: Yep. Yep. And Cam doesn't shoot anything just because he can, you know, Cam comes to you and says, I want to shoot your stuff. You're going to do what, what's necessary. And we reached out to him. Um, had them test it, and um you know the only downside to the prophecy, which you and I have hit on a couple times this weekend, that you do have to cock it. Uh, it's the way the sear system works in it. In order to get around that, I've gone through five or six different design changes. It will, it's going to have to get bigger. I have to have floating gears and clutches in it, and it just the whole system will not be as clean, and it's more to go wrong. So. You know, that's what I tell people. If you're not okay with cocking it, if it's something that, you know, once you shoot it enough, it just becomes second nature. You yeah. literally, your hand's in the bow. The first thing you do, like my my process, and I don't even think about it. I pull the arrow out, knock the arrow, cock the rest. It's just every time. It's not even it's a like thought. like
2: putting your release on. You're going to put your release on, aren't you? Every time. Every so time. So something that you end up doing. No, I think that, uh, well, I'm going to leave the prophecy on my uh, target bow. We did a lot of stuff with that bow today, so maybe we should tap into that a little bit. Bottom line is AAE for me is they make the they make the veins that keep my arrows flying true. So you guys have a lot of offerings. I think it would be a mistake not to, at least before we get to the tuning stuff, the meat and potatoes of this is, let's just touch on all your vein options and kind of best applications because some guys shoot a mechanical. Some guys use a fixed blade. Some guys are target. Some guys are a hybrid of targeting and hunting. and Some guys are just straight up bow hunters. You guys have something for everybody. Can't really just figure it out here on a podcast without asking you some questions. So let's just do an overview of your veins and kind of where they shine the best.
3: Okay. Yeah, I mean, we have, gosh, five or six different sizes. We've actually eliminated, eliminated a few in the last couple of years that just aren't popular. Maybe they're really more common, um, you know, 20 years ago.
2: What's your bestseller?
3: Uh, bestseller is probably still the Max Stealth.
2: And the name Max is obviously from from max yeah. yeah
3: from a max, max Ham- bond
2: max, max hamilton max yeah stealth max this max that that's cool that his name lives on so it's not yeah i don't think a lot of people know that
3: no a lot of people think it, it hints it hints at you know and certainly it has that recognition as being the best or max ultimate whatever but it actually does go you know back to giving recognition to max hamilton so mm,
2: that's cool yeah so max stealth that's my best seller on my website by far. Yep. That's what I've ran predominantly the most because it's the quietest and it steers a fixed broadhead straight up. So yep. I just answered that one for you. Yep. Let's say you're more of a, you like the expandable game and mm-hmm. maybe your arrow isn't super heavy and you just need to steer a mechanical.
3: Yeah. You know, and the way I describe those guys are your general uh, Midwest yep. white tail guys.
2: That's what I was thinking.
3: Yeah. Midwest white tail guys are rarely. You know they're shooting a mechanical. They're heck, they're really shooting past forty yards. But for me, veins don't have a ton to do with that. You know, if you're you're shooting a, a some form of a mechanical, you're out of a tree stand. It really doesn't matter at that. My go to is four fletch with the the hybrid twenty three or the max twenty three. Um, either one, you can't go wrong with them. Low profile, they're great in the wind. Um, they they steer a field point perfect or. Uh, mechanical perfectly fine they still steer field point phenomenally and they just they really shine in that world you know and still to go to that some guys they still I mean we touched on tuning today and let's be honest I'd say 85 percent of the bows out there are not in good tune and you're dealing with archers that don't have good form you know, and and for that, when when I'm trying to provide a vein that's just going to cover your bases, they're going to keep you safe. They're going to respond to the arrow to to poor form situations, or again, you're in a tree saddle wrapped around a tree in some funky angle. Mm-hmm. You know, and that for me, that go to is just the hybrid twenty six. Again, much like the max stealth, um, and it was created because of the max stealth, and everybody wanted a vein that would have similar flight characteristics, but didn't have to use the primer pen. Could use virtually any glue and that's where the hybrid was born and with the hybrid 26 that that's where it shines it's very quiet it will steer virtually anything it's very easy to apply and even then for for the tree stand guys um the majority of them again tuning issues whatever that vein will cover all that up and you feel confident that the arrow is going to respond as best as possible.
2: The hybrid material doesn't require a primer pin. Anything that doesn't say hybrid does, and you're using a primer pin right now. Yep. We're it's p- really not a big deal.
3: No. I mean, when the tip, of course, these pens, they're, they're a spring-loaded tip, and sometimes it might get too much of it coming out. And then you'll get a bunch on the vein, and maybe you don't want to— you, you, shake it off, give it a second or, you know, 10 seconds for that to flash off, and then it's good to go. The biggest mistake people make with primer pens, and it doesn't matter if it's ours or, you know, Flex Fletch, Zing, or Easton's Dr. Doug's pen, tax pen. The big thing, the way this stuff works is we call it a primer as an industry terminology, but it's not actually priming the vein. This is for high-performance materials that, these materials, just because of the type of material they are, are chemically resistant. So, what the primer pen does is it attacks the material for a short window to let the glue penetrate the vein.
2: So the primer pen kind of attacks it. The glue can pen- penetrate, and the arrow, the vein stays. The vein stays.
3: The biggest issue people have is they'll take thirty-six veins for a dozen arrows and they'll prime them all
2: at the same time. Yeah. Oh no, no.
3: Yeah. And this is a short working window. It's, you know, 30 seconds, a minute tops. And then the glue won't, um, with most of these materials, they go through a curing cycle, which doing this does to them. Um, they actually get even harder to penetrate again. So, um, it's just one at a time. Take your time. Don't be in a rush, grab a beer, watch the game, fletch your arrows. And you know, I love, I, and I'm weird and yes, I'm veins are my world and I'm, Arguably the most knowledgeable person in the world on veins, but I I enjoy fletching arrows. It's kind of relaxing. To I me. really
2: really push people on my channels to to just build their own arrows. Yeah, no one's gonna give a shit as much as you about your own arrow. No, so learn how to build them proper. Or you know. Get Nick to do them for you. Yeah, like I am right now, freaking <laughs> hit it all the park. Um, when are you gonna When are you gonna step up your respect to the hybrid HPs? You know I was gonna bring those up, dude. Yeah, they're not that loud. Well, and they you know they're like a
3: champ. They so the hybrid HP obviously is a design extension from the original blazer. Blazers have actually gotten a little bit smaller in recent times. Um, so when I created the Max Stealth, I did a ton of testing and I still get requests for this nonstop for a three inch shield cut vein. Right. And one of the big primary things that I'm a believer in, and I'm sure you are out as a Western hunter, we don't have animals respond to the sound of the bow. They respond to the sound of the arrow. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, they're just loud. That shape is loud. Is steers great. Sure. The gentleman who created that vein, um, that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down. But, uh, A gentleman who wasn't associated with boning at all created that shape, and uh, he did a great job of it. And my issue with it has always been that it's loud. Now, I have not sound tested the hybrids, and what's an interesting world to me, and some testing that I really should do, or maybe someone like you has already done, this world of heavy offset, heavy helical, you're a fan of the Arizona Easy Fletch uh, Mini Max. Yep puts three degrees which honestly i it's think it's got to be more way than three, I mean, more than three yeah. five degrees six degrees i'd buy five yeah it wraps them hard um there's some thoughts that exposing that much side of the vein changes the sound response hmm. so you know it's probably time to actually redo this those sound tests a bunch yeah and and confirm some of that you know it's really the thing is is it takes a ultra quiet environment when i was doing all my sound testing it was just on calm days at my house and i didn't have a special microphone or anything i downloaded a decibel meter app on my phone and i taped my phone to a chair and i was shooting from 60 yards you need to shoot far enough that you can separate the sound of the bow yep and the sound of the impact and just focus on that sound path um and i was literally just trying to shoot the arrows as close to my phone as possible without hitting it. A couple of times I thought I was going to lose a phone. Um, the old dip bangs happen every now and then when you're shooting hundreds of arrows a day testing things. So that's where I fell into the short, all of the short, high-profile veins. Now, I wasn't doing a lot, all the different fletching concepts. I was sticking with this is what I believe to be the best setup, and it's what I am still do to this day of two degrees with helical, yeah, on a bits um, and burger, I
2: think you can't go wrong doing that. I, I, I'm not to interrupt, but I'm interrupting. I just think yeah. you can't go wrong with that. That's a great way to go. Um, the mini max is crazy, dude. And here's what my observations are. And I think if you're if you really are going to shoot a fixed broadhead, and you don't have the skills to super tune or the resources, you need to look at the hybrid HPS or the Max Hunters, straight up. They're a little louder, but they're going to steer a little bit better. It's just the way that they're built. I still think the Max Stealths are a great option for like a kind of a combination of quietness and steering. Just the way that that vein's made. Huge fan. Uh, What vein are you putting on my tack arrow right now?
3: Right now, these are the Max 2.0s. This is arguably the winningest vein in target archery in the last, coming up on almost 20 years now. Certainly 2007, I Mm -hmm. think, is when this vein was developed. It was the first vein of the max line. Um, everything evolved from the creation of this vein, and uh, and I'm you're building your recommendation to me. Yes, these are four fletch. Um, your 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 arrows clock to the left, so we're doing left offset, left helical, and uh, yeah. maybe explain clocking to those. Yeah, so clocking, you know, as uh, again I've mentioned and you've mentioned. How much we believe in bear shafts, so a guy should always have bear shafts. Um, take your bear shaft, mark a known spot on it. I always go with the top of the shaft. You can use the uh, you know the indicator mark on the knock, whatever, and go to say eight ten feet. And really, you can start at five six feet and shoot that arrow into a target. Get an idea of what it's rotating. Basically, what I will do is I'll shoot it at, say, 8 feet, and then I'll shoot it at 12 and 15, and even I'll get all the way back to 20 yards, and you'd be amazed how much a bear shaft will turn. Um, they will really spin, and a lot of times I've had people have different concepts on what they think is Causing the knock to spin, but the majority of the time, it just depends on which direction your serving is going. That's what's promoting your, you know, your serving is essentially on a helical. It's wrapped at an angle, which causes it to travel up the string. Um, So depending on which direction that wrap goes, depends on which direction it's probably going to direct the arrow to go.
2: That's the best explanation I've heard. I've heard guys say it's the way that your D loops tied or it's the way that your strings are twisted, blah, blah, blah. Bottom line, and if you have a YouTube channel, start at two feet. Because I've done clocking videos and people are like, well, how do you know it didn't go all the way around in one? You know, and and I'm like, I just shot from one foot, dude. And then I shot from two feet and three feet. And I'm just, I'm watching the arrow slightly move more and more and more. The arrow's going left. I'm going to, I don't want to to fight itself and knuckleball. I want it to just go with the flow.
3: Yeah. And with a fixed blade broadhead, uh, above all things, that's the worst thing you can have. Because if you watch high-speed video of of an arrow that's clocked wrong and, you know, say it's right in your instance, you know, you've got an arrow that clocks to the left and you put right-hand helical on it, right-hand offset, however you do there. And it comes out going to the left before the veins take over and for, you already have an arrow that's fighting itself and then it stops and pauses and you lose all spin um mm. you're already especially with the fixed blade broadhead you want that arrow on axis and spinning as fast as possible that is the most accurate possible way um now i'm not a big believer in say the mini max and the, the extreme helical offset i i have parachuting concerns mm-hmm. now i will tell you if your max distance is sub 50 yards heck yeah use that thing i think
2: most people's are
3: yeah yeah and i
2: can prove that by attend my 25 something elk shape camps i've done in the last 5 years the first thing i have everyone do um, when they sign up i don't want to give this away i'm gonna give it away because they're gonna forget is i say hey put down how far you're willing to shoot at an elk mm-hmm. like straight up what's that number right and everyone should know that number it's your effective range right elk elk's at 60 i can i feel comfortable if his elk's at 61 that's one yard beyond my effective range so everybody puts something near 60 to be honest with you and then they get to camp and we do introductions. Everyone meets the instructors. We meet them. It's just stand up, say your name. Why are you here? And then it's like, hey, I'm Dan. I'm your host. Hey, I'm Joel. I'm going to teach you a shot. Of-. It's like a brief, brief. We don't know each other. There's 30 guys in a room. We're like, okay, grab your bow, grab one arrow. And then I have a, sh- a cheat. Let and I'm like, okay, so-and-so, you said 60 yards. You're up first. And they don't know me. They don't know Joel. They don't know Iron Will Bill or Dirk anyone that I have in my camps and they don't know any of their peers and everyone's half semicircle around them, watching them shoot one arrow dudes forget to put arrows on dudes are visibly shaken. And I love it because it's creating a similar pers- high, perce- high perception of pressure. It's a high pressure, high stress shot.
3: Absolutely. And they just
2: want to get rid of that arrow. And you know, because they want to get rid of that arrow, they usually succumb to some sort of target panic and they punch that arrow. They don't have a clean break doesn't go where they want it and so all that is to say is most folks effective range is under 50 so do helical the crap i've seen some parachuting man and it's usually for me it's like 80 plus yard shots tack type shots mm-hmm. and if i shot three arrows at 120 let's just say and say i'm shooting good and there's no wind and i'm gonna put them all in a 10 10 ring they're all gonna parachute but oh, they're yeah. all gonna impact really close to each other so the impacts don't change because of the parachuting The parachuting is slowing down the arrow theoretically because it's spinning too fast i haven't seen impact changes so i like it man um and i'd also like putting three veins on one arrow really fast i can fletch i'd have these done by now you know what i mean so yeah. and you saw my Bitsenberg skills earlier today they're pretty pitiful
3: yeah um, unfortunately i've There's a reason I'm fletching all of Dan's arrows right
2: now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot. And we did cover some content on what to do to your Bitsenberg today with Nick to spruce it up and have it a little bit more consistent. I'm excited for that video. Uh, Let's break down the tuning. Let's get into tuning a little bit, guys. So uh, let me set the stage. Uh, This is a TRX 34. This is a 75-pound bow. Uh, I think the holding's at 80%. And we got a 341 grain arrow, 342 grain arrow. That's total. Uh, I went up a spine to get lighter GPI grain per inch. I went to 350s. This is a victory rip. So it's a five millimeter extreme velocity. So it's very light, 350 spine. And I just did um, what people would call glue ins, but we didn't use glue. We hot melted. Mm. Hot melt is glue. Hot melt is the way to go, friends. I've. I've done the last two batches of arrows of hot melt now. I don't think I'll ever go back.
3: You know, I... Of course, we make a product called Max Bond that work, or Max Impact that works very well. It's designed to be used with points. Um, and it works phenomenally, but there are some advantages to hot melt that are just so great. the The biggest one being able to... Make easy adjustments, you know, I, we could go into a podcast for two hours talking about building perfect arrows Yeah, and I can dive off into a whole nother thing that we'll have to talk about someday. Um, but one of the big things is, you know, ensuring if your components are in straight and that is the coolest thing about hot melt is, oh man, this, this insert isn't good. My pin bushing isn't good. My unit bushing, my broad head is not straight little bit of heat, not too much, keeping it away from the carbon. You just need enough to soften that glue a little bit, and you can make a nice, easy adjustment. And as soon as it cools down, it's back in place right where where you left it. Um, You know, for your tack arrows here, something goes wrong, you break an arrow, um, you can get your point back really easy in the field. Yep. You know, um, you hit something hard and bend a point. Point comes out in the field with a lighter pretty quick. You know, it really has its advantages. I really like it for glue and field points because you can really cover the back of the point really good so you don't get vibration. Um, you'll see that a lot. Of, and like, say, with X-10s, which have just such a skinny shaft and a long point, um, the back of that, you sm- you can take people's X-10s and smack them in your hand. And you'll hear the point rattle in there because they didn't get enough glue. They didn't use hot melt or they just didn't put enough glue on it overall or whatever. And that's affecting the arrow in flight.
2: Yeah, and I like that, so those arrows behind you, they're all indexed so that they're cut on contact, iron wheel, single bevels. They're all indexed because I hot melted. I got to be able to heat it up, back up, and just turn it a little bit so that the bigger blades are parallel to the ground, Mm. hence giving me more clearance if needed. Absolutely. Which is really cool. So, yeah, we hot melted these bad boys up. And Dan would prefer to shoot a fletched arrow through paper at about five yards, three yards, get a bullet hole and be like, great, let's go build the tape. Like I alluded to earlier, not when Nick's around because we're torque tuning, which is that I've always heard about it. But it's never now I know what it is. And so we did torque tuning with two different setups. One setup had your rest on it, the Prophecy, which was built for being able to torque tune. Yeah, the Prophecy
3: Q- QD to QD. be specific. Yeah.
2: yeah, that is built for torque tuning, folks. The other setup didn't have that rest. It had um, Q- uh, QAD integrate. It had a QAD integrate, which I just I'm putting it on this bow just to test. Uh, I've talked about I've talked badly about it without actually using it. It just not a huge fan of cable driven's originally, just not. And uh, I'm like, I'm going to test it out. So we put that on there. Can't torque tune that. You can't. It doesn't have the adjustments. But you can torque tune if you have a dovetail. And so that's the very first time we took a Phase Four Twenty Nine out of the box, built it, walked outside after getting a really good bear shaft hole. And you had me shoot at 50 yards with fletched arrows, drilled a dot. You're like, Great. Now I need you to torque your bow on purpose, not cant it, torque it to the left, center your pin, center your peep and make a good shot. I'm like, this guy's crazy. I'm going to miss the target shot that. And you're like, okay, good. Now torque the other way. So I torqued to the right this time and then centered leveled, broke a good shot. And then you walk down there. What did you see? You immediately knew what to adjust. Why did you know to move my housing of my side, my dovetail closer to the bow?
3: So yeah, basically the simplest way to break down torque tuning is and like Dan said, when you get a decent paper tune does not need to be perfect unless you do have a, a an unmovable rest. Um, you can get your, 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 uh, your hole, your paper tune a lot better. But, uh, So basically the function of torque tuning is to bring forgiveness into the shot. Again, we're never in a perfect position shooting out of any, in any position as a hunter and whether you're in, you're in your elk shape camp in front of those guys and you got to break a good shot and you're tense and nothing's good. you're, You're torquing the bow. You don't even know it. So, uh, yeah, basic, the, Basic practice with uh, torque tuning, go to a distance you're comfortable with, you're a good shot. I knew we could get there with 50 yards, 50 is my preferred. I've done it at 20. Um, The direction you torque the bow, for a right-hander, it's easiest to torque the bow to the left. The direction you torque the bow, if you're torquing to the left and the arrow goes that direction, we want to expand the distance between the rest and the sight. If it goes the opposite direction, we want to compress those, bring those two closer together. Um, again, so on the Prophecy QD, you can move, you can the, move rest the rest towards
2: the riser or further away from the riser, Correct, and that will bring forgiveness. Yep. If you don't have that rest and you do have a dovetail sight, same principle, generally speaking. Yeah,
3: um, and you can get it very close You know, with the sight. The nice thing with the Prophecy QD, it has eighth-inch increments. Most sights have one-inch Um, there's some that'll provide you an option for three quarters or even half. Um, but most of them are a one inch adjustment there, but yeah, you know, again, shoot, get it hitting in a known spot. It doesn't be, have to be hitting the dot. As long as you broke a good shot, you can go, okay, wherever that impact point is, that was good.
1: Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
3: Torque it to the left. Hold it torqued. Don't over-torque it and risk derailing the bow. Right. I mean, these were subtle. Yeah, but you're applying... A noticeable amount of torque to the shot. It was noticeable. I was freaked out. Yep. And no, yeah. for you, um, we actually went the opposite direction. So you were torquing to the left. We were six inches right at 50 yards. Uh, just from sheer experience, I knew we probably wanted close to two inches of movement there. Um with the sight, what I like to do is move the sight first, then the rest. Some people, some people are very sensitive. Um, Paige Pierce is one of those that, in the target world, arguably the best female archer ever. Uh, she loves high magnification. So, and with a lens, the farther your sight is away, the more powerful your lens is, your magnification is. So, she will strictly work with the rest. And I've seen her again. We're talking about one of the best archers in the world. Doesn't really torque a bow much. She will torque tune and get it really close, but I've seen her go. Eh, I, the magnification is more important to me. It's close, moving just the side, just the rest. Um, but for ninety eight percent of the world, ninety nine percent of the world, we want that as good as it can be. You know, and so then, let me make this crystal clear.
2: We got a bow set up, new to me. We got a decent hole through paper without veins on it, mm-hmm. with tape on the back, so it matched. And the next thing we're doing is we're going out to fifty, and torque tuning. So guys, you got to make sure you got your fifty dialed. How we did that was super simple: three yards away from the first uh, from a target,
3: and as close to three yards as possible. Like when you're re- when you're that close, well, a one foot variance is many yards. Yep.
2: And at three yards, if you can find where your fifty, your fifty will hit where you're aiming at three yards. Generally speaking, get you real close. It'll at least get you on
3: the bail. Get
2: you on the bail, which is really important. Then you go right out there and you're shooting fletched arrows and you're torque tuning. And you're manipulating the rest and or the sight if you have a dovetail. Okay. And I'm gonna come back to this in a second, guys. There's a point that's really I got a hammer. Then once we did the torque tune adjustment, on the phase four twenty-nine that didn't have the prophecy QD, we moved the dovetail closer to the bow. And got it within two inches. And that's a kill shot yeah. when you're hunting.
3: I mean, we were less than an inch.
2: And six inches might not be a kill shot. Absolutely. So that's the point of that. Then, oh, and I would say on the TRX that had the Prophecy QD, we we really didn't mess with the site at all today. I told you I liked where it was. I was kind of being s- stubborn like Page. And we just did the torque tuning with the rig. And did you – we had to move it further back or closer to
3: – We didn't even move it. We didn't have to touch it. No, no. You uh, you shot two different torque tune shots, and it was within an inch. And yep. there's You could probably move the Prophecy an eighth of an inch click. You were to the left. We could have moved the Prophecy a click back and tried it again, but it was really, really good. Um, you know, we had a, a slight crosswind anyway, so it was remarkably good. Yeah. And I know it just wasn't it. worth – going any farther at that point and for the most guys again try to do this at a distance you're comfortable you can break good shots you can say yes that hit the spot i was aiming at you know 30 yards can show you a lot i've done i've done bows at 20 yards um i can think of one in particular it was an old dominator 3d at 20 yards torque to the left that bow hit a foot off
2: oh dude that's unacceptable yeah that's a, that's yeah that's how you miss deer from a tree stand from, at 20. Exactly. Um, and then this is the this is key mark right here. This is like ready to listen, folks. After we do the torque tuning, then we're not done. This is where Nick gets real anal retentive. Then he'll make you shoot wherever, you know, 20, 30, or 50 yards if you can, bear shaft. So you're going to go shoot a fletched and then a bare shaft, and you're going to compare impacts. And I'm telling you right now, don't go out to 50 if it's windy. Don't go out to 50 if you're having a bad day. Don't go out to 50 if you suck. If you're even average, don't do it. Just go to 30.
3: 20 truly is enough. 30 is 50% farther than 20 and really aggravates it. Okay. Um, I've had dumb days, and again, I'm a pretty good archer. I execute pretty good shots. Um, 50 on... A That's day that, that you're not pristine, um, 50 will make you tear your hair out. Yeah. And there's things that start coming into play at 50 when you start dealing with spin drift. And again, the effects of, uh, like I said, a, a arrow without veins on it will spin really, really fast. Yeah. Um, even though veins are promoting spin, they're actually causing resistance at the same time. So... um Ooh,
2: now you're going to blow my mind a little <laughs> bit. Okay.
3: Well, I, I always refer to it like this with a... Uh, as a parent, you know we all get those bags of the old um, ball pit balls. They're just a s- light plastic ball, smooth ball, and it's the same thing as why there's dimples on a golf ball. If them things are smooth, they start to curve. And you know, you think about it as a dad, you're throwing those ball pit balls at your kids, and they think they can hide ball. around a curve corner, and you can throw a nine foot curve ball at them. Yep, um, pretty wild. Yep, and that's because it's super smooth, and it's just it creates high pressure, low pressure, really easy.
2: Yeah, and people really think that their arrows are coming out perfectly straight and linear and not going to have a curve to them. You're th- you're spitting curveballs out of a bow, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, so you go to the bear shaft at thirty yards. You shoot a field point, or a, I'm sorry, you shoot a a fletched arrow. Get your impact, aim the same spot, shoot your bear shaft, and there's a formula you're looking for and this is based on Nick's experience and I'm going to try to have you like dumb this down to a good template somebody could write this down
3: yeah so again this is just pure experience as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast about hanging out with the best archers in the world and being blessed to get to do that so basically what we're looking for for a really great tune is I want to see a left hel- helical such as Dan's around the 430 between a half and one inch not in the same hole um, this is from years of experience with these professional archers and myself of knowing what a forgiving setup is um, this is still remarkably straight one inch off at 20 yards is remarkably straight one inch at 30 yards you might even what's crazy and where it's kind of like ah, 20 I might get a little finicky at 30 but it's I do 30 because I'm maybe I'm dumb. 20 is effective. Um, I like to step it up to 30. If I think I'm, I'm getting a false reading, um, things aren't moving and I want to see if the arrow's actually bucking, but you know, like we did, we, we shot quite a bit with your 29 at 30 and kind of tore our hair out a little bit, step back to 20. and was like, we're actually really good. Yep. Um, you know, and the 34, we just went to 20 and keep it simple. And the 34 tuned right up, a couple small adjustments trying to make it really good. So basically, all right, so left helical, 430 within one inch, half to one inch. Right helical, 730, half to one inch.
2: So, guys, it's going to be a little lower.
3: Yep, a little lower. A little lower. A little bit lower. Um, You actually kind of get lift with veins. And when you
2: hit that, when you hit that sweet spot, I'm saying take a photo on your phone. Yes. And then that's your bear shaft to go check when you get to elk camp or when you travel or whatever. Or if you've been hunting for three days and you want to check your tune.
3: Yep. So from there, I mean, just the basics of how to get there. Let's say your fletch shaft hits wherever it's hitting. Again, this doesn't have to be the middle. It's just a known good shot. And we'll say, um, you know, your... um, Bear shaft is two inches to the left, two inches low. So 432 inches. Um, now, we're obviously, from basics, just going to move the rest up a little bit. Small movements here, guys. Um, so maybe you go... Of course, I'm going to reference our Pro Series rests. I'm going to go up one line, you know. An eighth. Uh, no, no. Um, those lines, I believe, are 132nd. Okay. So uh, we're going to go up one line. Okay. Um, and then...
2: You're going to chase the point of the, yeah, then we
3: chase the point just like you do through paper. Yep. Same thing. You're going to chase the point. So, you know, if the arrow, if we got the arrows, you know, over there, two inches to the right, we're going to move the rest again, maybe just one line, one 30 second. We're going to reshoot that. And I would expect that amount to move half the distance. Now, in this instance, I said, two inches, we're trying to get to one. So I have a feeling that's going to be really close to that forgiving point of impact. Um, You know, then there's some things, you know, again, obviously, if it goes the other way, you know, if you're high three inches and to the left six inches, we're going to move things a bit farther, you know, again, chasing the point. So from there, I'm going to move the rest to the left um, and I'm going to move the rest down, Actually, you know, in that aspect. But um,
2: and we're assuming
3: that you have taken
2: the time to go through your arrows and make sure that they are good. Yes. Components are in. It's spinning true.
3: Numero uno that the bear shaft is really good. It's your best arrow, you know.
2: Did you guys hear that? I feel like we got to emphasize that or you'll be pulling your hair out if you got a crappy bear shaft. I have made that
3: mistake and you don't want to do it. (laughs) You'll be moving a rest a lot. I have literally, I have a, a friend's bow that I thought the bow was trashed. I was shimming cams all over the place. It was a disaster. And I was standing there thinking and spinning his arrow in my hand, and it was just bouncing all over. The arrow was bent. And I was like, oh, my goodness, what in the world? Went through his arrows, found the true one. Ten minutes later, his bow was tuned. Mm. And I I literally had two hours in
2: Well, my goal, guys, is that everything we've talked about on this podcast, I want to bring to life via YouTube as a long-form content so that you can have it as a resource to help you. I just want everyone to get better I love that about Archery. You never have it all figured out. And you can constantly pursue this passion. And my end goal, I want one shot, one kills. You know what I mean? I want that one shot opportunity that I worked so hard for. I want to be able to take full advantage of it and send a perfect arrow. I want I want short blood trails, short recovery. And I, I know that's why I'm obsessed with archery. It's I do love shooting bows, it's fun. But my end game is elk hunting. My elk filter is what I run my life through, man. As you've seen here today, I make decisions based on September. You know, I got to work out today because of September. I got to eat clean because of September. I got to be healthy because I want many Septembers. I got to know my equipment inside and out, and I want to go through and audit all my arrows. And that's so why I'm having you build mine right now because I got I to gotta kick some butt, attack um He's coming so,
3: for you josh
2: i'm coming for you buddy um i guess i guess we'll end here nick like you're a massive entrepreneur you're a husband a father you're an archer you're a bow hunter what what do you want what's your legacy man you're in you're in the zone now we said you're on trt and wanted to talk about that for a second but like what's your legacy what are you leaving behind
3: a lot of what you just said you know yeah I've been born and raised in this industry I'm blessed to be in the industry uh you know eternally grateful you know I guys who have gotten you with hard work I've, I've certainly worked my butt off but I've been putting in the seat that um I was just given the opportunity all I had to do was earn it you had to go out there and make the opportunity but you know The biggest thing I just want to do at this point right now, AAE as a company, you know, um, I've always said we're, you know, we're a company that's responsible for 250 to 300 mouths. Um, We employ anywhere from 65 to 80 people. And we got to make sure that those people can feed their kids and hopefully thrive. I want I want my employees to thrive. So um, that's numero uno. And then with that comes providing a product that I believe in, that everybody in the building believes in. We're not just making something because, hey, it, you know, it's on Amazon and it sells. Everything we make, we believe in. We trust. And um, I'm this obsessive because I'm testing this stuff all the time. And like you, when I'm out in the field, you know, we shot a turkey today. For some people, maybe that was a hard shot for me. 25 yards on a turkey, that was just a chip shot. And I was actually bummed he got up and walked it off for f- 10 feet. Yep. <laughs> but, you know... um. You know, it, it's all encompassing. Uh, so much of what you just said about, about September is my thing. There's a gentleman out there in Arizona, George Richardson. I've never even met George, but I've heard so many stories about George. This guy's still 84, 85 years old now, and he's still crushing it, man. This guy is 77 years old, climbed a tree in the Kaibab. No tree stand, climbed up, sat on a branch and killed a 260-inch buck at 77 years old. Like, I want to still be able to do that. Mm-hmm. That's where the fitness drive comes from. I want to be out with my great grandkids, be present when they get to harvest their first animal and just share that with the world. And, and the big focus right now is bringing out products to archers that make archery better, that make archery easier and makes better archers, teaching better archers. You know, you kind of saw that a little bit tonight with Clem. Um I, I love diving that. That was probably that the
2: highlight of my day. Besides the turkey, that was pretty cool. But just you coaching my camera guy, my my guy who's new to elk hunting and really hungry and a clean slate. You don't get those very often? No, very often. And it was like, oh, my gosh, dude, don't let me teach you. Let Nick Fisher teach you. This guy's taught hundreds of people archery proper. And dude, I thought I bet you changed his world today.
3: I I did love to see the smile when he when he start when it started coming together there. I don't know. We shot 20, 25 arrows, not too many, but you know, it, it's really easy to give everybody too much information. Give them a basis, and then every couple of arrows, we add another piece. We add another piece. We add another piece. Okay, now get to where you can, you can just complete these things. And there's so much more we can teach him. But he now has a great base that he's, it, you know, we gave him homework, go home. You told him, I want to see you um, yeah, do a he, time lapse of the yeah. 30 or 40, however many arrows he shot. You need to go and grain this more. And he went right home and did that. And that was super cool for me. And he me.
2: did it fast. Like, yeah. I thought I'd maybe get that text a couple hours later or maybe not. He did it right yeah. when he got home.
3: Yeah. And that was super cool to see because that's important is it takes reps, you know. So that's, that's to me, what my legacy is. We love archery. We love bow hunting, and, and we love the outdoors, but specifically we love archery, and I just want to keep teaching the next generation archery, and the current generations actually get them into it and understand why we love it so much. Mm-hmm. And yes, we love to kill elk. We love to eat elk, but if you've ever had a bow on your hand, just following bugles through the mountains at 4 a.m. and watch the sunset come over and watch the world come alive. That's church, man.
2: That's where church is at. That's it. That's biblical. And um, Jesus prayed on mountains by himself, man. He didn't, that's where he would go. I think that's cool. Shout out to Clem for filming today. He did a great job. And I think his archery game got elevated because of you. I mean, you left a lasting impression and he's got it on video to review. I taught myself everything wrong in my backyard. I bought a bow from a freaking pawn shop. With pawn shop arrows and just wanted to kill an elk, man. So I'm in there just doing everything probably way wrong, and uh, it's cool to see a guy like that early in his career of elk hunting to kind of start off on the right foot. Uh, I'm kind of jealous. But uh, lastly, I did I, the TRT is something. This is a fitness based podcast, obviously. Testosterone replacement therapy. Nick, how old are you?
3: I just turned 40. How long you been on? Uh, two years now.
2: Okay, my dad's been on TRT for decade plus. I think it's the greatest thing ever. I literally watched him become like my dad again. You know, his energy levels, his productivity, um, and just the physicality is like, things were back proper. When did you know something was like up?
3: Um, I've known something was up for years. You know, my fitness journey, I was, a, I smoked a half a pack to a pack of cigarettes for 20 years a day. Um, drank heavily, ate horribly. You know, I was the guy. You put a large pizza in front of me, and I'd eat all of it. Crush it. Um, I'm not saying I won't still do that now on occasion, but um, I was doing it every day. You know, and then backcountry, L kind of got in my blood, and it was like, man, I've got to get in shape. That's I right, quit Colorado. Smoking. Yeah, 2015, Colorado. My dad and Jason Corley, uh, the original, the original Bo Junkie and— myself and standing at 8,500 feet of base camp and I got elk all over at 13,000 feet and I'm going, I can get there, but I can't bring that thing back. And that chapped me, that chapped me. Um, cause that's all I want to do is go hunt elk. And so that started my fitness journey, but pretty early on, man, it was hard. I couldn't lose weight. I couldn't gain muscle. Um, And I just always knew, I just thought, oh, there's something wrong. I'm, you know, I got all these toxins in my body from drinking too much and eating bad and smoking and slowly cutting things out and cutting things out. 2017, I was able to quit smoking. Um, And even then I saw a little spike and then I plateaued and then you get the, oh, everybody plateaus, everybody plateaus. But I, I stayed on consistent. I worked out nonstop. And I mean, it was it took me three years consistent to bench 225. And I was like, man, I, I, this just seems like it shouldn't take this long. I work out six days a week. I, it's life. Like I can't go a day without working out. I really, I mean, if I don't get up and work out within the first hour, my mindset's off, you know? So yeah, I guess that was coming up on, uh, June, 2021. Um, a bunch of guys in the mastermind I'm in, the lion's den, we're all talking about it. And they're like, you got to get checked. And coincidentally, I walked into my local massage parlor, um, trying to take care of that, some of that self-care. And they were sharing an office with a uh, uh, men's uh, uh, hormone specialist.
2: Mm-hmm. Like some sort of endocrinologist or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
3: And, you know, we had a brief conversation. I'd sleep. I couldn't sleep for crap. I, I'd i sleep, but I wouldn't feel like yeah. I'd recovered at all. Uh, I'd become irritable. I, I'm a very positive guy. Like, I wake up every day with a smile on my face, no matter what's happening. Every day I wake up and I'm like, let's go make today great. And I was waking up with curious thoughts. Not actually considering killing myself. Yeah. But actually, like... What would life be like for people if I wasn't here?
2: That's how it starts.
3: And it was like, oh my God, that's not me. That's not me. There is something wrong. And literally I was like, Man, I don't know really know what to do. I don't know where to turn. And boom, Dr. Hawks was right there in front of me. Two minute conversation with him. Just hanging out in the lobby. And he's like, I guarantee your testosterone's in the hole. Right then and there. He didn't even ask for a for any money right then. He calls me in go get a blood test done. Guys, Everybody says, oh, I got my blood checked. Be specific. I need to know my testosterone numbers. I need to know my cortisol levels. Yes. I need to know the specific hormone numbers because they're going to worry about your cholesterol. They're going to worry about a bunch of stuff that frankly isn't very important because if your cl- testosterone is right – your body functions right. It makes us function like a man. It makes you remember when you were 18 and you could eat anything because your testosterone level was over a thousand. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell you that your natural testosterone levels, you know, averages between 400 and 800. Well, 400 is the testosterone level of a 70 year old man. No, thanks. And uh, you've been hearing a lot about it right now. The average man, the average 25 year old man Today has the testosterone level of a 50-year-old man mm. 40 years ago.
2: Mm. I'm going to try not to say anything political right now. Yeah.
3: Well, and not just that. I mean, obviously, there's issues that are pushing that in the direction it is. But from the horrible foods we eat, the lighting, the amount of stress, social media, God knows what. For me, I know most of what drove mine was cortisol levels, high stress, and not taking care of myself. Yep. Yep. So went on TRT right away. What were uh, your levels? Uh, 395. Under four? Under four. You're 70-year-old? Yep. I felt like it. I felt like it. Couldn't wow. sleep. Irritable. Having bad thoughts. Worked out every day. Couldn't gain muscle. At that point in time, I'd already done the live hard pro or 75 hard three times. And every time, I'd barely put on any muscle. I could lose fat. Sure. You know, I've, for the last 10 years, I've walked If I'm healthy enough, I certainly peaked out at 225 a few times, but standard weight around 190 to 195. Mm -hmm. Um, And I could slim down to 170, 175 through 75 hard. Couldn't hardly put on any muscle through the whole program. I would eat 250 grams of protein a day. And if you've ever done 75 hard, man, if you, if your body's right, it will respond.
2: It's crazy. I remember meeting you for the first time in person at an ATA show several years ago, probably four years ago. And so I haven't seen you in real life for four years. And then you show up and I was like, I don't remember being this jacked. Seriously. What do you weigh? What do you weigh right
3: now? 205.
2: Yeah. No way like you're beefcake now you're buff and you yeah. were not when i met you and you were doing the fitness you we talked about fitness i remember that was the main thing we talked about yeah that's incredible I, well i think that's inspiring to other people you know it those is. some telltale signs my dad's doing really well on it um i personally will go get tested i
3: i i just don't even just go get tested just get, to get a baseline know. yeah just to th- know get a baseline how do you manage something you don't measure exactly Straight up. Straight up. Yeah. that that's... You can't put that any better, man. And really, if you're over 30 years old in today's society, and the world, the things we're exposed to, go get checked. Yep. You know, it, it's not a big deal. Just go get checked. Get a baseline so you know, hey, maybe at 30 you were 750, which is a great number. You know, I take an injection once a week now. I'm 975. I feel amazing. My energy, I've kept up with you all week. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have done that four years ago. Yep. No way! That's awesome. No way, man. Um, Yeah, I, I didn't keep up on the level Dan can go at, but I didn't fall on the floor and die.
2: Your energy's been awesome, and honestly, I don't think people even know how draining it is to be making videos all day. It sounds silly, but you try putting together like this is on video. You got to like articulate, and you got to bring energy, and you got to bring entertainment. And we filmed hard this last three days, like three hundred gigs worth of footage. I mean, we've been nonstop trying to cover all this awesome stuff for people to learn. It's tiring, but you've still put in, got time to go get the workouts in, go kill a turkey. And here we are podcasting. It's almost uh, my kid's it's bedtime. It's after 10 you know, o'clock at night. Yeah. you know. That's pretty cool. Um, lastly, last, I keep saying lastly, I promised the last thing. How many times have you done 75 hard? Six.
3: Okay. One of those being the entire live hard program.
2: Can you just give us the overview for folks that are like, man, I need something like that in my life. Tell them what that thing is they might need.
3: So 75 hard is a mental toughness program, a mental different or mental discipline program. Yes, it is has serious physical foundations. So on the basis of it, there's five components Two workouts a day. One must be outside. Doesn't matter the weather, not under a patio, no roof under your head. Obviously, don't go outside in a, th- a lightning storm, but, you know, if it's just a crappy day and it's raining or snowing, get your butt out there. Um, it's actually quite the experience. It could be really cool. Um, so, t- and they cannot be back-to-back. They have to be three hours apart. So, you can't go and pound weights for 45 minutes and then go on a 45-minute cardio. And, guys, the cardio is simply as much it's as just walking. on purpose. It's inconvenient on purpose. Love it's it. Good. You're going to be at a wedding. You're going to be on your birthday. You're, it's going to be over Christmas. I've done them all. You're going to be on vacation. I've been in Mexico with chips and salsa and margaritas all around me, and I stayed clean, finishing set finishing the Live Hard program in That's Phase hard. 3. That's hard. In Phase 3. Hence the name. Yep. So um, anyways, the two workouts, um, you must pick a diet and you must stick to it. It doesn't matter the diet. It, do yourself some justice and don't make it lame. Okay. Don't be like, oh, I'm just not going to eat pizza for a month or yeah. 75 days. I'm a keto guy. Go I really keto
2: or go whole foods for 75 days. Like you're just going to eat nothing that comes in. No sugars. No, do sugar.
3: yourself a favor. Don't eat sugar. Whatever your favorite bad foods are. Don't eat those. Mine forever was pizza. Now going keto, I learned how to make healthy pizza. Yeah. There's lots of ways around these things. And, and like, I, again, I'm a big keto guy, high-protein keto, a modified keto. Um, I lift heavy, so I'm still, if I'm on program, and even daily, I need at least 150 grams of protein. 100%. I want at least two, you know, if I'm if I'm on program, I'm 200 to 250. Um, I've done, through all of Live Hard, that entire section of Live Hard, I did 250 grams of protein. I put on 18 pounds of muscle that year. Yeah, you just look
2: like fuller, oh, healthier,
3: yeah, yeah. sturdy. Yeah. Those are all good adjectives. Um,
2: yeah, I, I'm life.
3: not super lean. I'm not trying to be super lean. Right. When I go into the mountains, I actually start on keto when I go into the mountains and I have a little extra fat on me to burn. That's a f- an extra fuel source that I get to use when I'm in the mountains. Sure, you could be, you know, popping six pack in the middle of summertime, but that's a hard life to live. Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, Dan's absolutely shredded, but Dan stays clean a lot and you work hard. You know, and you may have some genetics and, and metabolism that helps that. Certainly. Um But, so anyways, yeah, to round that out, the diet, must drink a gallon of water every day. Not, coffee doesn't count, tea doesn't count. This the is only, so good. The only thing that counts is if you're using it in your supplements, not your protein shakes. You can use water to your pre-workout. If you're, whatever your intra workout is, those count. For me, like... I'm a water bottle guy. It's eight water bottles a day, standard water bottles. So pre-workout, my intro. By the time I'm done with my workout, half my water's down. Yeah. Um, So workout, diet. Is there a social media component? That's where we're getting to. Workout, diet, um, no alcohol whatsoever. There's no cheats in this. You cheat, you fail. Um, You must read 10 pages of a self-improvement book every day. From so, a real book. From a real book, not from a phone. You can't use your phone, paperback, hardback, whatever. That would take you know, Audible out, folks. Yeah, you Audible's out. There's no audio books. No, you are reading. You know, Read Goggins. Read Jocko's books. There's so many phenomenal bo- books out there. The Four Agreements, um, yep. great book to read. Jocko's the, the Dichotomy of Leadership, I don't think I can read that book enough. Yep. Um, discipline
2: is freedom is still my i can't read you can't
3: yeah you can't get over that and then the last one and the one that is now i have failed um four times twice i quit honesty i like this twice i quit on day 25 both times the other two times the part i hate a freaking selfie mm-hmm. and it really really to do it right you want it to be you know a progress photo shirt off shorts, whatever, to show your progress so you personally can look back and see what you've done. But it doesn't call for a progress photo. You just need to take a picture of yourself to to show that you actually thought about the small things because the small things matter. That's the whole thing. I've had times where I remember I was at Easter in camp on my daughter's birthday and went, oh my gosh, I'm sitting around the fire at 11 o'clock at night. All the rest of my stuff's done. I almost forgot the photo. And I stood up, just took my... shirt or took my coat off because it was snowing and took a selfie in front so of the fire. So it's a
2: selfie every day.
3: Every day. This is, dude, and it, this is rad. Yeah, it's, this is where the mental toughness part comes in. For guys like you and me, the workout's easy. We do that anyways. The reading, no problem. I like to read and I still do it virtually every day now the diet okay it's just yeah. consistency it, it has its crappy points in time where you're like oh my god i would just like to eat an entire bowl of chips right now yeah you know um but hey make cheese chips you're on keto um you know as you get farther into it, you start getting more serious about it like i did where you start counting macros and you're
2: six you know, times you've done it that's i've good. done it
3: 10 i've right i've completed it six that's pretty cool Wow. Yeah. And one of those, again, being the live hard program, which isn't the entire year long program. So that's 75 hard phase one. And then I did phase two as 75 hard because doing 30 phase two is 30 days of 75 hard. Just the program. It feels like you're cheating. It doesn't feel right. Um, so f- so technically seven. Um, wow. So phase two and then phase three. Phase three is a whole nother animal. He throws in some cool stuff in there. Like every day you have to go out and and have a conversation with a stranger.
2: mm this is great.
3: Yeah. And this that is- part is really weird because especially we did that at in the middle of COVID. Um, oh, 20, yeah. 2021, right? Or did I do it in 22? 21. Did that in the middle of COVID. So a um, few times just approaching people. You know, and there's times you literally got to go, oh, my God, I haven't talked to a stranger. And you got to go. Go to town. Like I don't live near town. I'm I'm twenty minutes away from really anything. Go down to the local gas station and stand on the, stand there at, at the gas station and wait to see somebody you think you can approach and strike up a conversation with. Because you can only do the the teller once. You yeah. know it has yeah. to be somebody different every time. Hmm. So some challenging things.
2: Pretty cool way to finish this cast. Is that's inspiring. Uh, discipline is so monumental. If you struggle to be disciplined, there's a good chance all that's really happening is that you're not telling yourself the truth. The truth should breed discipline. If you're like honest with yourself and you're like, I'm not giving it my best. This is not the best version of Nick Fisher. I'm capable of more. I'm not shooting as good as I could. I'm not as fit as I could be. I'm not the leader of my company that I could be. Honesty should bring about more discipline. Hundred percent, and that's where we're going to end this podcast, guys. Check out Nick Fisher, man. I'm going to leave a link to his Instagram, and obviously AAE, they have a surplus of different products and stuff. And I, I didn't even know they didn't they did stuff beyond archery, which is really cool. I shouldn't have been surprised. Congrats on your turkey, your first Miriam, you smoked it. Thank you for the opportunity. That was awesome. That's probably uh, the highlight was definitely that, and then uh, just enjoy these last few days. So thank you for your time. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you all on the next one. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. I thought it was pretty cool to hang out with Nick. I learned so much about tuning, and hopefully maybe you picked up a nugget or two there. Uh, Black Ovis' discount code is ELKSHAPE. And by now, don't wait for buying season, you know, June, July, when everyone's inventory is impossible to keep on the shelf. So be on the lookout. Black Ovis' discount code ELKSHAPE, 10% off. We, trail cam season's coming up too. Stealth cameras is what I am running. I went back to them because they're just reliable. I also been running their cellular, stupid, awesome, um, and then the DS four Ks, four K video mode. Discount code ElkShape ten for ten percent off cellular trail cams. Elk shape twenty for twenty percent off non-cell stealth cam. Throw a big old gigabyte card in there and let her eat. Crispy. We got the new brick stalls coming out in twenty twenty three. A little rendition. Best boots ever. Straight up. And you gotta try them for yourself. All-time favorite Laponia 2, Colorado 2, Rickstall, the new one. It's a it's a mountain Gore-Tex-based. Awesome. Go check them out. Win this athlete for your supplementation. Discount code Oakshape23 20% off. If you're gonna do any digiscoping, make sure you slap a mag view on discount code oakshape 10% off. Kifaru International Baby. You can get a lot of their multi multi-camp stuff over at Black Obis and use that discount code Oakshape. Or you can go to Kufaro.com, discount code ELKSHAPE15 for 15% off NUMA Outdoors, discount code ELKSHAPE20, that's the hunting clothing I wear. Elite membership for Onyx, don't be running a Premier or some other brand, go with who's been around the longest. Discount code ELKSHAPE20% off, elite membership Onyx is the best, know where you stand. If you're in the market for binoculars, spotting scope, rangefinders, eurooptic.com, that's where you can buy your Vortex. The discount code is elk10. It takes 10% off. Also, a lot of folks have been asking about some of the Vortex wear I've been wearing. Discount code is Elk Shape, takes 20% off. All our discount codes are listed in the show notes. You guys have a lot of options. Thanks for choosing us. Go make it the best week ever. Go make it the best 2023 ever. Think about that. You only get one crack at 2023. So make it the best. I love you guys. Appreciate your support. Peace.